The title of my homily this morning is Why the Church is Better Than Facebook. Let me begin my, by making something crystal clear. I have nothing, per se, against Facebook. I have nothing, certainly, against the people who are on Facebook. I better not, because probably 90% of you are. I'm not personally on it, mostly because of time constraints. I have enough to keep me occupied, technologically speaking, with my blog and with email and with text messaging. Anything more than that would be technology overload or overdose, and I certainly don't need that. That having been said, why do I say that the church is better than Facebook? Well, it's because of an article somebody sent me the other day by a man named John Horvath II, and the article was entitled, Unfriending Facebook. Now, when I first read the title, the, first, the thought that occurred to me was, well, this has to be about Facebook users who've dropped the service for some reason. But I was wrong. The article was actually about Facebook employees who've left the company because of the way that it's run. And the irony is, the way that it's run is precisely what attracted many of them to the company in the first place. You see, Facebook is an organization that, as Horvat puts it, breaks all the rules, smashes traditional hierarchies, and lets its employees exercise their creativity without all the restrictions of times past. The rules and policies, in other words, like set hours and clear job descriptions, those things that guide most employees in most places of employment, they do not apply for the most part to the men and women who work at Facebook. Now you would think that this would be something they all loved, no restrictions, no rules, etc. But in many cases that is precisely what has driven them away from the company. That's what made this article so interesting. In addressing the question of what former Facebook employees complain about the most, Mr. Horvat writes this. Curiously, they complain mostly about those quote-unquote fun things that are heralded as cutting-edge in the new postmodern workplace. The lack of organization, focus, and rules. And he goes on to say, working for Facebook can be exhausting since this is not your normal nine-to-five job that plays by the old rules. At Facebook, everything goes. Employees can be subjected to long 12 to 14-hour workdays under stressful conditions. Engineers complained of being on call 24-7 for weeks at a time to keep the service up and running. Employees are absorbed by the fast pace and the intensity of their work. The no-walls, free-flow atmosphere that is supposed to foster creativity is also stressful to workers who complain of a complete lack of privacy whatsoever at the social media giant. At most companies, you put up a wall between a work personality and a personal one, which ends up with a professional workspace, wrote a former employee. This wall does not exist at Facebook, which can lead some 
which can lead to some uncomfortable situations. Yet another popular complaint was the laid-back attitude that left everything undefined and unfocused. Employees sensed a lack of infrastructure to provide guidance and support. There are constant guessing games where workers are expected to intuit what is happening in their departments and what is expected of them. The result is a lack of professionalism and stability where instructions are not clear and organization is lacking, which leads in turn to stressful situations. All of that leads Mr. Horvat to draw the following conclusions. These and other complaints underscore the importance of human relationships and leadership in the workplace. It is not surprising that despite high wages, perks, and the prestige of being part of an overhyped company, there are those who opt out of, the, of working in a pressure cooker. People are not made to live in an atmosphere where a reckless spirit of unrestraint and instant gratification dominates. That's a great line. This is in a secular publication. This could have been written by a pope. This line, anyway. People are not made to live in an atmosphere where a reckless spirit of unrestraint and instant gratification dominates. They need guidance, infrastructure, and leadership to give them support. As a result, frantic intemperance takes its toll upon the psyche, causing burnout and disillusionment. Facebook needs to face the fact that life is not a Facebook page consisting of superficial posts of fun and games. Until the social media giant learns this important lesson, it can be expected to see itself increasingly unliked and unfriended by its dis disillusioned employees. So why is the church better than Facebook? Well, ironically enough, my brothers and sisters, the church is better precisely for the reason that some people complain about her. To use the terms found in this article, it's because the church has a clear organization and a clear focus and defined rules, which we call commandments. It's because the church gives us guidance. The church gives us support. It's because the church preaches against unrestraint and instant gratification, and because the church clearly teaches us what God expects of us and what we need to do as human beings to get on and stay on the road to heaven. So often, people outside the church, and sometimes, sad to say, even certain people inside the church, criticize her for these very things. But as the experience of many Facebook employees makes crystal clear, we human beings need guidelines. We need rules. We need structures. We need those things in order to be happy. We need those things in order to reach our full potential as human beings. This is why Jesus gave us the church he gave us. This is why Jesus gave us a hierarchical church. And it's why he instituted the papacy. Jesus created us. 
Jesus knows how we operate. He knows what we need. Jesus called himself the truth in John chapter 14. And in John chapter 8, he promised that his truth, his teaching, would set his followers free. Free from sin. Free from Satan. Free from eternal death. Free from fear. Free from hopelessness. But you know what? Jesus was not naive. He knew that his truth needed a guardian. A chief guardian who would work in conjunction with other guardians to preserve the truth, to defend the truth, to teach the truth. From the time he ascended into heaven until the time he comes again at the end of the world. Without that kind of authority, Jesus knew what would happen. He knew his people would very quickly and very easily fall into error and become divided from one another. And historically, that's what has happened in Protestantism. It happens continually in Protestantism. They don't have the Holy Father. So one day during his ministry, as we heard a few moments ago, when he was with his apostles at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus singled out one man to be that first guardian, that first spiritual father in his future spiritual family, the church. He said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. My church and the gates of the netherworld will not prevail against it. That's the institution of the papacy. Now, I know some of our non-Catholic brothers and sisters object to this idea. And they say to us, oh sure, Jesus was making Peter the head of the apostles here. But Peter died, and his authority died with him. He wasn't, Jesus wasn't instituting an office. There's no provision here for his authority, Peter's authority, to be passed on to anyone else. Oh yes, there is. And we need to understand that as Catholics. And this is where the keys come into the picture. Jesus said to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The symbolism of the keys is lost on us because we're not Jews of the first century. But Jews of the first century understood the symbolism because it goes back to the Old Testament, to their scriptures, the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 22. We need to know this as Catholics. In that chapter, a man named Shebna who was something like the Prime Minister of the Kingdom of Judah. He's removed from his office, and he's replaced by a man named Eliakim. And to indicate the change, God says these words. He says, I will place the key, the key to the house of David on Eliakim's shoulder. What he opens, no one will shut. What he shuts, no one will open. Jesus here at Caesarea Philippi is hearkening back to that image of the keys. The key in that verse from Isaiah symbolizes authority, but not just any kind of authority, dynastic authority. In other words, the authority of an office, an authority that was meant to be passed on 
from one person to another. When Shebna was thrown out, somebody had to replace him. When Eliakim died, somebody had to replace him. And on and on it was meant to go. Jesus, therefore, gave Peter the keys to make it clear to him and to all of us that he was establishing something permanent. He was establishing an office that would continue to exist long after Peter died. And as we all know, it has. Pope Francis is now the 265th man after St. Peter to occupy the office of spiritual father, that is to say, Pope, in the Lord's spiritual family, the Church. Now, as we all know, some people, especially in the secular media in this country, they are waiting. They are waiting for Pope Francis to change the teaching of the Church on certain matters of faith and morals. We all know what those issues are, no need to list them here. Well, you know what, my brothers and sisters, they're going to be waiting for a long time. Because it ain't going to happen. Yes, the Pope can change certain things. He can change certain disciplines and certain policies in the Church. He can change certain aspects of the bureaucratic structure of the Church. And I hope he does some of that for sure. He might focus on certain aspects of Church teaching that other popes of the past haven't emphasized as much. That's true. But he will not change the defined teachings of the Catechism. Because he can't. He can only guard those things and protect those things and teach those things. That's all he has the power to do. Notice that St. Paul says in today's second reading, I have kept the faith. It wasn't his own opinions that he was faithful to in his life. It wasn't his own version of Christianity that he followed. Paul kept the faith. The one true faith. Of which Peter was the chief guardian. You see, and I'll close with this thought, unlike the officials at Facebook, the Catholic Church does not leave her people without direction, without guidance, and without the help and assistance they need. That's why we have a Pope. That's why Jesus gave us a Pope. And that's one of the biggest reasons why the Church is and why the Church always will be better than Facebook.